Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 in a message titled, God with Us. Permit me to ask you a personal question. What are you afraid of? As you reflect on that question, don't let your mind go to things such as the fear of public speaking or the fear of heights, the fear of mice, spiders, or snakes, or the fear of flying in an airplane. Rather think of those fears that reside in the depth of your soul. Katie Mendrano published an article in September, 2011, called Top 10 Strong Human Fears. And in the article, she states, this is a list of 10 of the human fears that every member of a society deals with throughout their life. The list in many ways is self-explanatory, and it includes losing your freedom, the unknown, pain, disappointment, misery, loneliness, Ridicule, rejection, death, and failure. Many of these fears are closely related to each other, such as death and the unknown. Rejection and ridicule, pain and misery, and failure and loneliness. But these are fears that describe an inner condition of the heart and that reside, as I said, in the depth of the soul. So as you look over this list... What fears, if any, can you identify in your life? Is it the fear of the unknown? Is it the fear of loneliness, rejection, or death? We all have our fears because fear is a basic human emotion. Unfortunately, many of us live in the grip of fear, in the grip of anxiety and worry. And the end result is that it creates chaos in our lives and even affects those around us. You see, fear stifles our thinking as well as our actions. It creates indecisiveness that results in stagnation. It hinders us from becoming the people God wants us to be. Fear can also drive people to destructive habits. It steals peace and contentment. And it creates doubts. As we struggle with our fears, God has to figure in the equation because the Bible tells us hundreds of times in various ways and in various places to fear not over and over again. God tells us, do not be afraid. I would like you to think of it in this way. God inspired the writers of scripture to include this command throughout his word because he knew that we would all wrestle with fear sooner or later. What do you do when your fears seem to be winning the day? What do you do when it seems God has abandoned you in your crisis situation? What do you do when it seems that God is silent in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your fear? If you're like most people, you begin to lose hope. Deep in the soil of your heart, little seeds of doubt take root. And and growing up is a harvest of frustration, a harvest of anger. Well, this morning, this first Sunday of 2019... I would have us turn to a passage of scripture that will help us face any situation that will help us face our fears 
as we venture into a new year of unknowns. You and I don't know what might, may lie ahead in the days and months to come. We don't know what kind of experiences await us. But as we embrace and, and internalize a truth contained in this passage, we'll be able to face any situation. We'll be able to face our fears, our anxieties, our worries head on as they arise. Now, you may think this is a strange passage of scripture to read at the beginning of a new year because we associate it with the Christmas season. Although it is very much a part of the Christmas story, it has significant implications for each and every day that we journey this earth. So in light of that, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter one. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25. And as I do, just listen very carefully to the, to the words that are being read, follow along and, and listen carefully and allow the spirit of God to take this passage and to uh, burn it into, into your heart. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy spirit. Because Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law and yet did what did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as her wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as, as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Did you notice the words the angel spoke to Joseph? He said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now we need to pause here and ask, why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary home as his wife? After all, they were betrothed. The wedding plans were already to being made. He and Mary were looking forward to spending their lives together as husband and wife. I believe there are several reasons for Joseph's fear. First, it's not every day an individual has an angel speak to them in a dream. So that alone could have been frightening for Joseph. But I think the most significant reason was this. Mary was pregnant and Joseph knew that he was not the father of the child that she was carrying. In shock and disbelief, he had observed the obvious pregnancy of his fiancee. Mary was expected to be a virgin and premarital motherhood would have been a public scandal. Joseph knew that his reputation was at stake. He knew that he would be jeered and laughed and sneered at. Mary's pregnancy opened him up to rejection and to ridicule. And the situation that he found himself in was filled with so much unknown, so much uncertainty. But Joseph's fears are quieted by the message of the angel. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
And then Matthew adds his commentary. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. More than 700 years earlier, Isaiah the prophet had foretold this event. He had prophesied concerning the coming of Jesus into the world. And this son to be born would be called Emmanuel. And let's not overlook that name. Let's not skip over. Let's not read it too quickly because that name means what? God with us. Each of the three words that comprise the Hebrew translation of Emmanuel is significant. It is in these words, God with us, that we find the answer to our fears, the cure for our worries, and the antidote for our anxieties. And so let's examine the significance of each of these words more closely and see their significance. We begin with the word God. God with us. Of all the names of Christ, perhaps none is more significant than Emmanuel because it tells us his true identity. He is God come down from heaven. Theologians call this the incarnation, a term that means to take on human flesh, to be born as a woman. John chapter one, verse 14 tells us the word that is Christ became flesh and lived among us. The word who was God wrapped himself in human flesh. The son of God descended from heaven to earth and wrapped himself in human flesh, being born in a stable in the little town of Bethlehem in a forgotten corner of the Roman empire. Don Skinner says this regarding the incarnation. God did not send Christ to us. God came to us in Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The God who created the universe came down to earth to dwell with us. What a stupendous mind blowing miracle that is. No wonder when John Wesley lay dying in 1791, he roused from his sleep long enough to open his eyes and exclaim the best of all is God is with us. Then he closed his eyes and died. Isaiah's prophecy was a promise that God himself would appear as a human infant. This baby who was to be born would be God himself in human form. That night in the little town of Bethlehem, God stepped into time. The ancient of days became the newborn baby in Judea. Emmanuel, God with us, God up close and personal. At Christmas, we tend to focus our attention on the infancy of Christ, but the greater truth is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is a truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and of the earth. Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, infinitely rich, became poor. He assumed our nature and entered our sin polluted world. Isaiah would later prophesy that he would take our guilt upon himself, although he was sinless that he would bear our griefs, that he would carry our sorrows, that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The apostle Paul penned one of the gladdest truths of all of scripture. He said, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the immeasurable gift we have received. Christ, God's own son, gave up his wealth and privilege to live as God with us, that he might save his people from their sins and 
and that through his poverty, they might become rich. There is no other religion that can make such a claim. The story is told of a Christian who was sharing his faith with a Hindu who just could not grasp the fact that God became man. As the two were talking, the Christian looked down and noticed an ant crawling on the sidewalk. Stooping over, he said, suppose that I could compress myself to the size of an ant and could put aside my human strength and could live in the body of an ant. Only then could I really understand an ant's world. And that is exactly what Jesus did. And the Hindu replied, yes, to understand one must be one. And that's exactly what the incarnation really means. God cared enough to allow his son to take upon himself a robe of human flesh, to suffer as we suffer, to experience what we experience, and finally to give his life in our stead, that for all eternity we may dwell in his presence. Yes, the word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. The essence within the name Emmanuel is that God became a man. God is with us. In order to expand our understanding of the name Emmanuel, we need to focus on the second word, the little proposition, preposition, excuse me, with. A preposition connects a noun or pronoun with another element of a sentence or phrase. God with us. The chorus from the Grammy Award winning song, From a Distance, reads, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. The impression is that God keeps his eye on us from a long way off. The impression is that the creator of heaven and earth is peering over the edge of heaven, watching over us from a galaxy far, far away. However, that's not the message of the Bible. God dwells with us. The dictionary states that the word with means alongside of, near to, in the company of, into, among, as an associate or companion, in support of, on the side of. So what do we make of this word with? I think it means that God is alongside his people. And how is this possible? How is it that God is with us? God's presence dwells with us through the Holy Spirit. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is paraclete, which means one who is called alongside another. Jesus told his disciples that when he went away, he would send them another comforter who would be alongside them, never to leave them, never to forsake them. The reality, therefore, is not just God made us or God thinks about us, not just God above us, but God with us. Where we are, he breathed our air and walked this earth. God with us. The God who made you, watches you, directs you, and knows you. It was Christian St. Patrick who, in the 5th century, penned these hymn lyrics. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ my right. Christ at my left. As Amy Boucher Pye says, these lyrics remind me that Christ is with believers always through his Holy Spirit living within. And then she goes on to say, when I'm nervous or afraid, I can hold fast to his promises that he will never leave me. When I can't fall asleep, I can ask him to give me his peace. When I'm celebrating and filled with joy, I can thank him for his gracious work in my life. God is near to his people. 
He is so near that he knows what we think, how we think, when we hurt, when we experience joy and gladness. He knows us completely, what is happening to us moment by moment. Indeed, he is Emmanuel, God with us. In his book, Glory Days, Max Lucado shared the story of Martin Luther King Jr. He writes, in late January 1956, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. received a threatening phone call at his house. It was not the first foreboding message he'd received, but on this night, as his children and wife lay sleeping, the weight of the civil rights movement was too heavy. He decided that the risk was too great. He began to map out an exit strategy. At midnight, he bowed over the kitchen table and began to pray. I'm afraid the people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my power. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And then King described what happened next. He said, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. When facing that daunting challenge, King shifted his focus and turned to God. And like Dr. King, we too must turn to God to see him standing at our side and believing that he is with us. Remember, whatever we face this year, God is standing with us, standing with us to comfort, to strengthen, to guide, to redeem. And what a comfort it is to know that our loving Savior is not with us in some impersonal or far off way. He is present within. He understands us completely. He knows what it's like to live in the sinful world. He knows what it's like to be bombarded with temptation. He knows our pains, our fears, our sins, because he bore them himself. He's come to be with us with his message of love, his message of forgiveness, giving us his perfect life, wrapping it around us. But there is one more word in the translation of the Hebrew name, Emmanuel, that we need to consider. And that's a word, us. God with us. I don't think we find it difficult to imagine God in heaven, surrounded with his angelic and celestial creatures. We can even understand that God would relish being in the midst of his beautiful and flawless creation. But with us, I mean, after all, we've inherited Adam's inflated and distorted ego, his determination to do things his way, his resistance to the laws and commandments of God. Why would God want to be with us? David asked a similar question in total perplexity. He wrote, when I look at your heavens, the works, work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. When God made human beings, he made us with a capacity to have a unique fellowship with him. A relationship where God could be with us and we could be with him in that unique and special way. And human logic cannot fathom the possibility of a relationship between a perfect, all righteous God and sinful human beings. We cannot comprehend why God would seek to restore the sinful human race to fellowship with them. But the bottom line is this. 
God came to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, because of his great love for us. There is no force more powerful than the true, than the love of our, than the love of our heavenly father for us, his children. His love can move mountains, can stop the roaring seas, can heal wounded hearts, can transform lives, can set free those held captive by sin and shame. In John chapter 17, verses 25 and 26, Jesus makes an unfathomable statement about how great the depth of God's love for us truly is. He prayed, O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prayer reveals a heart of the father toward us. God loves us the way he loves Jesus. His heart is full of affection for each one of us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, verses 37 to 39, Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves us simply because he loves us. We don't have to work for his affection. We don't have to set ourselves straight before he can pour out his love over us. The father in the prodigal son story ran out to meet his son before anything had ever been set right. He didn't know that his son was there to apologize. He didn't care. He simply wanted to love his child. And our heavenly father feels the same way about us. He longs to love us right here, right where we are, as we are. He longs to fill us with a love to overflowing. He longs for us to experience this love and oneness, just as Jesus did when he walked the earth. God is not an angry taskmaster who shows affection only when you and I succeed. He is a loving father who will always love us no matter what. As I said, his love can heal and forgive and transform and free and lead us to that abundant life. He always longed to give. We can know the depth of God's love for us by what it cost him, by how little we deserve it, by the overwhelming blessings we receive from him, by the freedom with which he loves us. He doesn't have to love us. He chooses to love us. And the more we see the depth of our sin and rebellion, the more we see the love that God has for us. Emmanuel, God with us. These are powerful words with powerful implications. These are words we need to hear and heed as we begin a new year. There is so much uncertainty in our world. The threat of war, natural disasters, economic volatility, environmental issues, moral decline. But there's also so much uncertainty in our personal world, in our personal lives. The possibility of illness and death and unemployment and loss. But God wants us to remember that we are on a journey. A journey of faith in Christ, which is going somewhere. It's going to the new promised land, the very abode of almighty God himself. And so as we make this journey, he gives to us this assurance 
Emmanuel, God with us. So in light of that, let me ask you a number of questions to reflect upon and to consider today and in the days that follow. Going back to that very first question I asked at the outset, what are you afraid of? What fears can you identify in your life? When you, when you scan the, the deep recesses of your heart, of your soul, what do you see? When God puts a spotlight onto your heart, what fears are revealed? Identify those. What is the source of your fears? Why are they there? What concerns do you have? And then thirdly, how does a promise, Emmanuel, God with us, speak personally to you? God's answer to fear is not an argument or a formula. It's a person. You see, God himself is the final answer to every fear of the human heart. And so this morning, God is saying to you and me, I am whatever you need, whenever you need it. Why? Because he is the all-sufficient God for every crisis. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, like Joseph in Matthew 1, we cling to this promise. Emmanuel, God with us. And as Joseph, we desire to be obedient. Father, to do your will. Joseph, after having that encounter with the angel, got up and did what you told him to do. Even though there is so much uncertainty, even though there are so many unknowns, by faith, he acted upon your word, upon your promise. And so, Father, as we now are into the year 2019, we too want to act upon this promise. We too want to go forth with the assurance, believing, embracing the truth that you are with us knowing that we can face whatever comes our way because the sovereign Lord walks with us, resides within us. And so, Father, we anticipate what you have for us. We anticipate the opportunities and the challenges, knowing that nothing will come our way that has first not passed through your hand. Give us that boldness and courage through your spirit. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.